to the Showball Podcast Series, the number one platform for high school baseball players and parents to gain in-depth stories from college coaches across the country. Listen to some of the country's best college baseball coaches as they share information about their background, coaching philosophy, and decision-making process. More importantly, this podcast series provides invaluable insight for parents and players on how best to prepare for an extremely complicated journey, a journey that involves families learning how to best market themselves during high school in order to have the best opportunity to play baseball in college. Welcome back, everybody. This is Mark Sertanian, coach with the Los Angeles Dodgers and minor league player development. Really uh, value you guys being here again today. We have a very special guest. His name is Greg Moore. He is the head coach at St. Mary's College in Moraga, California. Along the way, he's been an assistant and associate head coach at the University of San Francisco for quite some time. Then transitioned over to Cal State Northridge in Southern California, where he was the head coach for six seasons. All right, Greg, how are you doing up there? I'm good, Mark. I'm excited to talk to you anytime. Greg, you know, we obviously had a chance to speak uh, prior to this and just catch up and lay out some of the dialogue that we're going to present to everybody here. I want to ask you a couple questions, but first I want to ask a question of the audience, whoever's listening, to maybe start shaping how they can absorb the information that I know you're offering us here when we get started. So I think it's ultimately as valuable as anything anybody will hear, in my opinion. But I want to throw out the disclaimer in the form of a question to the audience. Like, for you listeners, what if in the next month your only goal was to build yourself up, to take on these new experiences in this transitional phase that you're in, and to learn? If that was on the forefront of your mind and separated from the herd mentality, from the wondering about the future, the anxiety that can go along with that, if you've removed all that to the best of your ability and solely focused on learning and absorbing and using your skill set in those manners, as a family, where do you think you'd be in one month from now? And that disclaimer leads me into asking you a question, Greg, and we want to hear a lot from you. What is it about your process underneath all of it, underneath anything that people like myself or casual observers would see, what is at the core of your process? I want to start at kind of the foundational levels of this thing. Sure. As a coach, I was raised by coaches, and I know the impact that we have a chance to make in terms of shaping the way people think. I mean, I I grew up just my mom, and she was kind of a spiritual guide because she was so spirited, it's so spirited. But coaches really taught me how to think and, and how to approach both success and failure. So when I had the chance to coach, I realized how rewarding it was. What's at the core of what I teach is how do you elevate your thinking in even the mundane things? And, and how do you be consistent in in what you say you want to do and what you actually do? Nobody's perfect and the guy that you're talking to today is not even close. That's the good challenge. If we say we're going to control the controllables, well, let's identify the controllables. And if, if we say that we're going to always say things that make us and other people better, stronger, 
then then how do we stay consistent to that way of speaking and and even better than that that way of of thinking i want our guys to be free when they leave the four years at st mary's i want them to be free to choose what they want to do in life and it doesn't mean they get to be a seven foot center in the nba but it, it means that they get to decide if it's going to be a 40 hour a week job that they do and they spend a little extra time with their family if it's going to be a 90 hour a week job and and they've got to really struggle to balance the, the other things. So it really is about controlling uh, where they want to go day-to-day, week-to-week, and throughout their time at St. Mary's. Every program that you've been associated with as a collegiate coach in the various positions that you've been, from assistant coach at University of San Francisco for an extended time to being the head coach at Cal State Northridge and then now being at St. Mary's, but also with USA Baseball, and the one thing that I've observed in each of these places is that ultimately the players are fully functioning, fully active, and in complete ownership of their day-to-day. I imagine that that's a process that you guys as a staff have taken with them. If you could talk about that a little bit, curious to get that shared here. That's a good question. I'll start with what I ask our coaches to do. I think that probably answers the question. I say to them that we have to be examples first and we have to be experts at what we do second. And, and it's, a, it's a close race, but we have to be examples on and off the field. The reason I think our guys embrace it is there's a little bit of a filter in recruiting. You know, when we sit with them on a recruiting visit and talk to them about how they're going to manage time, how they're going to set goals at the beginning of the week, and how they'll reflect on those goals Sunday night, the guys who want that will come. So I don't think it's as much necessarily an innovative coaching philosophy. I think there's a lot of values attract values. And the young guys that want that seem to come to the places where our staffs are. And I enjoy teaching it. I enjoy having coaches around me that that really want to <laughs> blend the two. Baseball has so much it can teach, but if we're not applying that sacrifice bunt idea in other areas of our life, then what are we doing and are we really taking as much as we can from baseball? If you can describe the steps of maybe what a young player experiences early on when they're challenged to this degree to take on goal setting and communicate and be challenged to say and do, whereas maybe in the past, you know, they haven't had those opportunities as frequently, and eventually maybe getting to the, the transitional phase of a young player and how that works. It's a great question, something I'm passionate about. Monday morning, our players set three goals, and they're the most controllable goals that they can work to execute. It's a mind-body-spirit goal, but we term it differently so that it's simple. 8 a.m., what is your read, what is your train, and what is your give goal? So what are you going to read this week that's above and beyond what your professors are asking you to read? It's something that, that you're seeking. You have to create the thought and then execute the thought. What's going to make me better? The train goal is what am I going to do above and beyond just what my strength coach is telling me or, or somebody else told me. It might be flexibility. It might be diet. But it's it's above and beyond. What do I need to, to do to have the best physical presence, body that I can have? And then the train goes into a give goal. And the give goal is what, what can I do to be a teammate? How can I give to somebody else this week? Not a lofty, grandiose goal. How do I lead college baseball or even lead my team? But is there one guy who can go to the corner of the locker room and elevate this week? He needs it, or 
can I help my mom set up Christmas decorations or help somebody move, check in with a brother or sister? It's a rep of thinking at the beginning of the week, and then throughout the week we want to know just daily quick check-ins. How well are you concentrating? How well are you separating? How well are you communicating? And, again, those are just reps to make sure we're keying on the right things because academic success is how well am I concentrating in the classroom. That's where it all starts. At the end of the week, build on work on. What did I do well? What did I not do well? And, and a lot of this is shared so that I can see the language they're using and the process they're trying to go through. You nailed something. It's tough early. They don't want to do it early, and they don't want to really share. But as soon as they break a little bit of that, it's a, a little bit of a vulnerability. Some of the best conversations that, that I've ever had are with 18-year-olds who get to that aha moment and say, you know what, I need somebody else to pull me along and shape me a little bit and how I'm, I'm approaching school and baseball. I'd love to go through a fun study with you, perhaps a player in your past that you can elaborate on specifically. You know, somebody who came in maybe lacking the, the full self-confidence to take on, you know, the level of responsibility that college baseball and athletics and uh, education offers and how they transition themselves through some guidance. There's so so many good stories because guys decided to do the work. Maybe the most public player is Kyle Zimmer because he was a, a, an early round, early draft pick in the first round. and He was a converted third baseman and, and People would call and say, "Well, what's the magic to Zimmer? What's he doing? How's he how's he getting better?" And the only answer you could give is he valued every rep. And I think that ability for him and for players that grow quickly, grow the right direction, it really comes down to what can I control? Well, today I can I can work at this practice or within this drill or at this rep. There was two things. It wasn't just the focus to put his eyes down to figure out how to throw a breaking ball, it was to ask 10 people how they throw their breaking ball before he got to the to the sophomore year when he figured out how to throw his. So there's no shortcut to it. But Zimmer's the most public example of, of that. I think there's so many good examples of guys that, in college baseball in general, the game's a great teacher, guys that probably were okay players who became great professional people and great people because the game makes you key on reps, and if you're not humble, the game will humble you pretty quick. I want to sit on Zimmer, if you don't mind, for a little bit. I was hoping you would pick him as the person to kick off with. Kyle was obviously a three-year player for you guys, and I encourage everybody listening to look him up as you're hearing us speak on his career path. 2010, his freshman year for you guys, you made five appearances in your five and a third inning, and then the rest is history. I would love to explore it, you know, how did you guys discover him and, and what ultimately led to his decision of going to USF? Well, nobody knew that he was going to be as good as he, he'd become. But uh, there's some unique things that happened in his recruiting process that made me smile and made me know that especially young guy. I remember in December of Kyle's senior year, I was talking to Kyle on the phone, and I'd seen him at a showcase and all I knew was he's a good young guy. I talked to him a few times, big and strong. His arm is very good, very intelligent. But after I got off this one call with Kyle, his dad jumped on, and he said, hey, I just have to ask you a question. Eric Zimmer, a great guy. He said, 
why are you recruiting my son? So I, I laid it out. I said, here's why. We want him to come, and we think he could have a good future here. He fits the culture we, we have and the type of player we want. He said, yeah, but there's no other Division One schools recruiting him. It was almost like he was asking me, what's wrong with you guys? I don't think my son can play at that level. And I'll always remember that call because there was no, no entitlement there. He didn't think his son was probably good enough. Then, and, and neither did his son. That's what made it nice because every day he wanted to work. I remember Eric Zimmer would pick up trash after the games. And he'd watch his son pitch, and he'd be the guy out there scooping up trash. So it's really where these guys come from and the perspective they have that helps us as coaches fan the flame or, or light the fire if it's not lit yet. Yeah, that vision creation for a player might be one of the most beautiful parts about coaching. So this guy walks on at the University of San Francisco, is treated the way that you've described in the recruiting process, openly, with vision, goes up there for his freshman year, throws five and a third innings, and continually follows the lead of the coaching staff and gaining confidence along the way. In 2012, he's the fifth pick in the draft. How did it go down for Kyle just on the day-to-day side? What did he hang his hat on? Yeah, he hung his hat on on every rep, and I, I say that it seems redundant. But watching him, the two years I got to see him, I recruited him left and then came back. So I got to see the sophomore and junior year up close. And by that point, <laughs> to watch him go, let everything else be non-important and only the reps in the weight room be important, it was it was just a level of clarity that I, I don't know if many big leaguers get to at that level. I, I will always say he's the best, most focused worker I've I've been around. And it wasn't purely anger in the weight room or <laughs> anger when he prepared, but there was a little of that. Nobody was going to get in the way of the thing that he could control, which is just working at the game. And that's easy to say and do for a couple of days. But I watched him over months, and I got reports from summer coaches that would say, what is wrong with this guy? And they loved him. Why is he so committed? How is he so committed to the lifestyle out of this game? And it's a little bit of a Greek tragedy to this point because he's, he's suffered through some injuries. But if, if anybody that's young wants to study a guy who hasn't gotten the big league results, but he works every day in the right way, he's the perfect example because you won't get distracted by five all-star appearances. He's just got the right perspective and, and way to go about it. I wonder after you departed and you came back and then now your relationship with him, how has it evolved? You know, as he's evolved, have you evolved with him and the things you guys discuss or the tone of the dialogue? Did he become more of a two-way communicator? It's more fun now. It's just back and forth, quick texts. If I get to talk to him, great. It's just more enjoyable because it's still Kyle doing his work, but he needs an outlet more than he needs somebody on him. Uh, if there's some process stuff that we can get into, it, it'll be a short burst, quick reminder. We'll tell a funny story about him throwing a bullpen on a street in San Francisco before he went and pitched in the in the regional uh, a couple days later. And those those are fun things that I, that remind him, remind me of that the game's fun. And that's all the, what a lot of these guys need at this point. That's what I hope to give him. There's just another player that I've been dying to cover, and that's uh, Aaron Pareda. Mm-hmm. Also somebody that 
had an unbelievable career in college and, and was also a first-round draft pick out of the University of San Francisco in, in 2007. He debuted in the big leagues at 22 years old, just very quickly, probably the quickest for the big leagues from his draft class, regardless of round. How did you guys find him? How did he go about it? What was what was his learning curve like? Aaron's probably the best lesson to, to parents. He's the epitome of late is great. Something we talk about a lot as college coaches is that many of the best players in college baseball were A, late commits, or B, late bloomers. Think of a guy like Thomas Eshelman. He, he went to Cal State Fullerton, but he was on a couple different tracks as a two-way guy. Pareto was similar. He was a football player that really didn't bloom until he got maybe to his senior year, even his sophomore year of college. Sophomore year in college, he was out throwing against Cal, and just this big, strong, young guy that was doing good work every day. And we looked at the radar gun, and it was up to 92, and, and then it went to 94. And it was really the three years, four years of work before that from high school leading into college that, that allowed him to, to bloom. But he did do great things in minor league baseball and got to the big leagues. But he's a latest great young player. And I think that's where the steady attack of just going every day is controllable for young guys and for parents. You know, don't there's not a positioning game to try to get yourself in the right position as a recruit. It's more just what can I plan to do daily because this is a, a five-year plan, not a five-month plan. For Pareda, he, he's a great example of that. How, how did Aaron overcome maybe some early on struggles or did he just dominate from pitch number one? I think he, he always grew, but he wasn't ready to dominate when he walked in. He was a big guy. He was a big guy that's kind of slow moving. He needed to learn all the other parts of the game, holding runners, feeling his position. To his credit, he, he wanted to learn it and he came to practice every day to do it. But it did take time. By no means are most freshmen ready to step in, maybe uh, one on the field each Division One game. But uh, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't there as a freshman. He was close as a sophomore. Really got it going as a player when he was a junior. If you could describe a little bit about his recruiting process and how guys can get missed even in their own hometown. Well, he, I understand why people missed Aaron Pereira. He was a senior that was just big and falling over on the mound, not using his legs, and it started to come in his senior year. The, the coaches there at Tampa did a great job with him because he was a lineman that was figuring out how to pitch. And it, it just clicked for him one day that he needed to use his legs, and the velocity went from about 83, 84 up to 86, 87. He started playing with some of those numbers. So he, he wasn't ready as a junior. If you saw him at a showcase, you'd probably think, wow, this guy is fun to watch, but he's not going to be ready to pitch in, in a year or two. Um, so it, everybody missed. and We just happened to be in the right place at the right time. His parents are wonderful people. Uh, we had a dinner, and, and they were similar. They said, well, can he even pitch at USF? And I said, we sure think he can. Yeah, that's why we miss. These guys develop late, and when they do, it's it's sometimes magic. Tell us a little bit about your staff right now. I know that it's a, a group that likes to stick together, but for those that don't know, who's who and what do they do for you guys? 
Sure. Jordan Tuvig is our recruiting coordinator. Him and I were together at Washington for a very short time, together at CSUN for the entire time. And when we had the chance to come north, he he came too. He's from this area, somewhat Sonora, but he spent a lot of time here as a scout. He was a coach at St. Mary's for a couple of years. He was a Loney's head coach when they won the JC California State Championship. He's a professional. He, he's committed to be a baseball coach, and he he loves it every day. Drives all of us. Riley Goulding is one of the best young kidding coaches in the game. Son of John Goulding, which gives him a leg up. A 40-year high school coach, Hall of Fame uh, high school coach, and and Coach Goulding, the young one, just understands the game, but he can relate to players. Uh, he's got the the coach's son mind but he's he's with the guys he understands what they're working on and, and how to how to shape their plans and then Dylan Tashin is our volunteer assistant coach he was a player at CSUN a coach at CSUN now he's with us he works with our catchers and it, he's magnetic he, he's just he's somebody that everybody wants to be around he'll be a great recruiter you know we get him out on the road I'd like for you to give us a two-minute drill to the best of your abilities. Two-minute drill of like, hey, you're at this stage where you're trying to find your next home, and it's something that you can get wrapped up in on a social media level. It's something that you can get into the compare and contrast out of it with where other people are at. But a little two-minute drill of like, what's important? What can focus on for some young people that might benefit? Best advice I can give is. Ask yourself first where you're looking. Are you looking at Sports Center or are you looking at the epicenter of what you do every day? It's something we talk about often that at the epicenter is you controlling what you can, making yourself better. On Sports Center, all the highlights that come after thousands of hours of work in a in a gym. I always say, Well, where are the where are the videos of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, Roger Clemens? doing the work and, and sometimes we have to catch ourselves and say are, are we more attracted to the, the Twitter post or, or do we really love working when nobody else is, is, is watching us so I think that for a young guy you can't wait for the game to be the reason you play or the recruitment or college to be the reason you enjoy working at the at the sport it's really got to come from you. And, and I think the best way to do that is find one or two mentors that you can learn from. Don't try to learn from 8 million people on Twitter. Learn from one or two people that you can deeply engage with instead of superficially check in on. And, and when you start to look at the epicenter and you look at good people around you that can give you good depthy information, you start to control the things you control and, and what correlates with control is happiness. And you'll be a lot happier in this process as you go through it in the high school years. Well, we value this, Greg, and your inside-out approach that you share freely with us is not only respected, it's needed. And for those people that get an opportunity to meet you or further observe your teachings, uh, it's going to be a total benefit for them. And uh, just value the time with you, Greg, and thank you for sharing it from the heart with so many people. 
Mark, I'm, anytime I can get on the phone with you, I'm in. <laughs>